Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Friends, welcome to our time of prayer and scripture reflection. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here of Priests for Life. It's so great to have you with us and uh, those that are with us for the first time, uh, welcome. You are not going to be disappointed as you come here each day for the nourishment of the word of life. We always relate it to our commitment to defend human life. So let's put ourselves in the presence of God. Please feel free to leave your prayer intentions in the comments. We'll all pray for one another as usual. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, you are our King. You are the King of the universe. You are the King of all the nations. And in that kingship, we find our freedom. Lord, help us to understand the proper relationship between your kingship and human authority. And help all those who are in authority, whether in the state or in the church, to exercise it in a way that is in obedience to you and in conformity with your will and with your spirit who fosters the good of your people. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from the first book of Samuel. All the elders of Israel came in a body to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Now that you are old, and your sons do not follow your example, appoint a king over us, as other nations have, to judge us. Samuel was displeased when they asked for a king to judge them. He prayed to the Lord, however, who said in answer, Grant the people's every request. It is not you they reject. They are rejecting me as their king. Samuel delivered the message of the Lord in full to those who were asking him for a king. He told them, The rights of the king who will rule you will be as follows. He will take your sons and assign them to his chariots and horses, and they will run before his chariot. He will also appoint from among them his commanders of groups of a thousand and of a hundred soldiers. He will set them to do his plowing and his harvesting, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will use your daughters as ointment makers, as cooks, and as bakers. He will take the best of your fields, vineyards, and olive groves, and give them to his officials. He will tithe your crops and your vineyards, and give the revenue to his eunuchs and his slaves. He will take your male and female servants, as well as your best oxen and your asses, and use them to do his work. He will tithe your flocks and you yourselves, will become his slaves. When this takes place, you will complain against the king whom you have chosen. But on that day, the Lord will not answer you. The people, however, refused to listen to Samuel's warning and said, Not so. There must be a king over us. We too must be like other nations with a king to rule us and lead us in warfare and fight our battles. When Samuel had listened to all the people had to say, he repeated it to the Lord, who then said to him, Grant their request and appoint a king to rule them. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. God is king of all the nations. And many nations have had earthly kings sometimes believing that they had a divine right, the divine right of kings, that they had the authority of God himself or close to the authority of God himself. The pagans especially believed that. And what we see here in uh, the prophet Samuel is the end of the time of the, the judges. These were individuals appointed to resolve disputes between parties and also to be military leaders, to rescue God's people in, in battle and to uh, help them defend themselves against their enemies in the surrounding nations. But now the people are looking at those surrounding nations and as you heard, they said, well, give us somebody who, you know, is going to rule our nation and, uh, and, 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 and govern us day to day. And so God uh, allows this to happen. Now, what you see here in the initial warning is a warning about the corruption of kings, a warning about the human sinfulness of kings. And if you give them authority, well, authority corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Because power corrupts, because we are human, where there's going to be these, uh, these kinds of, uh, of issues. And the Lord, through Samuel, was trying to warn the people about this. But they didn't care. They said, we want a king over us. The history then begins with Saul, and then you have David, and you have the whole history in the Old Testament. You got the first book of Kings, the second book of Kings, the first and second book of Chronicles. You have all kinds of history there about good kings and bad kings. Kings who, as they were supposed to do, upheld the covenant. God remained the king. You can't take God off his throne, and his term doesn't expire. God is not term limited. But having an earthly king, well, they can uphold the covenant. They can lead the people in worship and fidelity to the covenant. And then on the other hand, you had kings who not only broke the covenant, but actually led the people into violation of the covenant and built altars for them to worship idols. You had the whole gamut. When there, uh, this we read from... Um, the twelfth chapter of uh, uh, the eighth chapter of First uh, Samuel, but then if you go four chapters later, you have Samuel's speech to the people, and he reminds them, "You said no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you." Now here is the teaching on the proper relationship between the king, the people, and the Lord. Listen to what is said in 1 Samuel 12, starting with verse 14. Samuel says to the people, If you will fear the Lord, the Lord, and serve Him, and obey His voice, and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, 
then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. There it is. There's the proper hierarchy. The people are still the people of God, and the Lord God is still the king over the people and over the whole universe. There can be an intermediate individual, a member of the people himself, who governs, upholds the laws, sets the laws, leads the, the, the battles for the country. But that king is responsible both to the people and to the Lord. Both the people and the king have to obey the Lord. The fact that the king is the king doesn't make his authority autonomous. It makes his authority relative. It makes his authority shared and subject to the ultimate authority of God, under whose authority also the people are in such a way that they have more of a duty to obey the Lord God than they have the king if the king himself disobeys the Lord. Does Jesus uphold this very same hierarchy? Absolutely. In Matthew 22, remember when he's asked if it's okay to pay the coin, the tax, to Caesar, he says, show me the coin, whose image is on it, whose inscription, Caesar's, they tell him. So Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. There's the same hierarchy. In other words, what's on the coin is the image of Caesar, so it belongs to Caesar. What belongs to God? That which has the image of God, namely us, the people including Caesar. What Jesus said when he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, is another way of saying what 1 Samuel 12 says when Samuel says, let me read it, uh, the relevant uh, line again, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, it will be well. Give to God what is God's. Who has to give to God what is God's? The people do, including Caesar. Caesar rules over the people, but Caesar also has to obey God. Now, in the United States of America, we don't have a monarch. We don't have a king. In fact, our founders rebelled against the king, and the Declaration of Independence was a declaration of independence from the king. Why? because of what we read in 1 Samuel 8 right here. Now, in fact, reading this passage, these warnings that the Lord delivered to the people through Samuel, reminds me actually of reading the Declaration of Independence. Because although the Declaration of Independence has those, those lofty sentences about the inalienable rights and God our Creator and the self-evident truths, most of the Declaration of Independence is a litany of complaints against the king as to how he was abusing his authority. Read through it. It's not long, but it's just like this passage. The king abusing human rights, stealing things from the people. I mean, it's, 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 this is pr it's practically an echo of these warnings of God to the people saying, listen, the king is human. And therefore, the king is sinful, and power corrupts, and you're going to suffer under the king. Sure, the king may defend you in battle, he may uphold your laws, but you're also going to suffer under him. And our founding fathers in America, they, they knew what that suffering was like, and they said, we've had enough of this. And so they set up a government in which the sovereignty, and this was a, 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 a novel idea, that the sovereignty would reside in the people. And that's the way it is to this day. We are the 
the, the, uh, even though we are a relatively young country, when you look at countries around the world, we're the, the, con- the only country that's still operating under its original founding documents. That's a testimony to the wisdom of those documents because these men relied on God and actually their thinking was very much shaped by the Word of God. And so what they said was sovereignty resides in the people. Now, the people do elect representatives and they elect a president and they elect governors and they elect senators and the rule still applies that those are sinful men and women. Don't we know that in our day especially? So how do you, how do you deal with that? And that's why it's not a monarch. That's why power is divided in a very wise way divided between the federal and states, divided among different branches of government, both on the federal and the state level. Power is divided. There are checks and balances. Not everybody is elected at once. There are different timetables for elections. There's a separation in elections between the executive and the legislative branch. Uh, There's so many, many different checks and balances that it's a safeguard against tyranny, it's a safeguard against the litany of abuses that both this passage from 1 Samuel 8 and our own Declaration of Independence indicate. And the same principle applies, that Caesar must obey God, even more so in our situation because not only must Caesar obey God, not only must the elected representatives follow the will of the Lord, they also have to follow the will of the people. Because in our system, they don't have any power except from the consent of the governed. It's not that God has appointed them. Sure, it's God's will, obviously, that they serve. At least God's, God is permitting it. But it's not like they're divine, some kind of a divine appointment. The, 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 the responsibility that they have is towards the people by whose consent they govern. And all, both the people and the elected representatives are responsible to the Lord. Now, this is why our founding fathers said that religion and morality are essential to the success of our nation. Why? Precisely because the sovereignty resides in the people. If we can pull or, pull or push or direct our nation in any which way we, we choose through our system of creating laws or rendering court decisions, well then, if that's the case we better well know the difference between good and evil. We, may, we better well be able to discern what is for the good of our families and our community and our nation and what is destructive of those things. Because otherwise we can lead ourselves into destruction. We have too much power residing in the people to misuse that power. And that is why religion and morality become the constraints. I mean, aside from the, like I said, the different division of powers, religion and morality have to be the constraints on the people leading the nation down the path of destruction. The responsibilities, in short, that Scripture places on the king are in America placed on the shoulders of you and me the voters. We're well to study the duties of the kings to uphold the covenant because those duties now rest on us, on us, to promote the common good, 
to use our vote, the power of our vote, to do what is right, to protect life, justice, and freedom, and family, and marriage, and religion. So it is, what a powerful lesson, especially in an election year as we are in now. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is the year 2024 and we face many crucial elections in our country. We thank you for the lesson given to us both, both in the Old and the New Testaments that your people and those who govern them must obey you. Lord, may we carry that out in the voting booth. May we carry that out in our lobbying of our elected officials. May, they, may we carry it out in, at times, what need to be rebukes that we give to those who are governing in a way that is harmful. Lord, may we carry out all these things with our eyes focused on your will and your word. Bless us as we go forward. May we govern ourselves in virtue. Bless our elections. May voters have wisdom to choose properly. And we sum up our prayers in the words Jesus gave us out. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us, friends. Remember, in the political realm, ProLifeVote.com is our special election website. ProLifeVote.com. Please stay tuned to that. And to join our, our election uh, seminars, too, our, we have these monthly Zoom calls where you can get training on how to impact the elections and uh, according, obviously, to the principles we just explained from God's Word. God bless you, and we will talk to you soon. Well, hello, brothers and sisters. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here of Priests for Life. We are here today with our national political coordinator, Erin Parfett. And Erin, uh, good to have you with us on the set. Thank you for having the me. The 2024 election is getting into a very intense phase. Pretty soon we'll be turning the calendar. It'll be 2024. More people will start thinking about the election. And we just wanted to remind our audience how we are preparing and training them to make a difference in this election. Tell us. There, there's so much action going on next year. There's the whole House up for a vote, one third of the Senate, right. the presidential election, obviously, mm -hmm. possibly numerous ballot initiatives, and we want everyone to be part of the action. So to do that, we want everyone to go to prolifevolunteer.com, mm -hmm. sign up with your basic information. We will not sell it to any third parties but we will use it to keep in touch with you about our various trainings and I can reach out to you personally as well and 
we can discuss how you can be more active in your community. Right. Sometimes people want talking points as to how to respond to uh, the left and the pro-abortion forces. Right. They want to know how they can help register voters. So we do this via monthly, and, and then we will increase the frequency as we go along. Right. Uh, Zoom calls, right? Right. We hold the Zoom calls at least once a month and sometimes more, but if someone wants to schedule a session in between to ask questions about how they can help in their communities, they can be in touch with me and we can generally work something out. Well, you're always very helpful to the people and as you share with them all the resources we have at Preach for Life, plus your own personal political experience. So thank right. you for doing that and thanks for helping us to uh, navigate these trainings both online and also uh, also in person. Yes. And once again, friends, ProLifeVolunteer.com. That's ProLifeVolunteer.com. Fill out the form there. Check it out today and we'll be able to help you use all your talents and opportunities to make a difference in this critical election. Thank you, Erin. Thank you. And thank you, brothers and sisters. God bless. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.